17 years in the industry, kind of through five ventures, I, I took a lot from each phase. You know, the great growing aspect was just a tremendous foundation for me to continue and just cemented my passion for the industry. I, I love agriculture. I love science. And the great growing part of it was was the perfect starting place for me because it, it kind of shows where it, where it all starts. Welcome to the Squirrel Suite, everybody. On today's episode, we talked to Grant Hemingway of Libby Wines. So as you heard, Grant spent his entire career in wine in various companies in various positions. And right now, his latest venture is Libby Wine. It's low alcohol, fewer calories, the perfect alternative to a weeknight glass of wine. Here's the full story. And don't forget to like, subscribe, share this episode. Let us know what you think. Cheers. Welcome to the Swirl Suite, everybody. Hey, Glennis, how are you? What up? I'm fine. How are you, Sarita? I'm good. I'm good. I just saw you. you. Just, yeah, I just saw you in person. Was that yesterday? It was no. yesterday. Yeah. I know. You know, I have to catch up because I was laughing when I asked you, oh, when are we doing a living? I said, are we doing it tonight? You're like, no, that's tomorrow. And it was because I usually don't go in to the office on Mondays. I go in on Tuesdays. So yes. I have Tuesdays, podcast recordings all in my head. Yeah. But the Chablis tasting masterclass was unbelievable. Yeah. We unbelievable. Chablis masterclass. And it was at a restaurant called, um, I think it's called Delphine's. Oh mm-hmm. my goodness. Yeah, it was lovely. It was outside. It was a little chilly, but it was good. It was good. It was, yep, it was outside. It kept yeah. the wines at a nice temperature. Um, yeah. My favorite, again, was the um, Blanche Show by Jodon. Um, I just love the notes of like the butterscotch on the nose and the heaviness to it. And that's because I'm a big, bold. Yeah red person so i like that in the chablis and it wasn't overly buttery or oaky so yeah it was excellent. yeah that was my favorite did you have uh, a favorite i did have a favorite my favorite was the one that was the third to the last it was with the word fort the yeah french word for fort in it let me see if i can find the wait what's it called was that for show for show yes mm-hmm. 2020 mm-hmm. domaine christophe yeah I, I thought it was beautiful because I like balance and it was it was nice oak, but stainless steel. So it gave me the feels of both. And that's why I liked it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it was excellent. Nice. Yeah. Did you get a chance to go anywhere else um, yesterday? Because, you know, the city was from what we heard, the city was popping with wine events. I did not. But OK, so I did. I had some lunch at uh, Delphine's. And then I caught the train to decanter the wine shop okay. near Easton Market because uh, Kamusha was there, the South African producer. He mm. was there. Um, he's in town doing a little tour. And um, I bought two of his wines. So he was very nice. It was nice to meet him in person. Excellent. Excellent. Yeah. Did, any pinotage? No pinotage. Um, it was, he did have a red. He had one red and it was Cabernet Sensel. Yeah, yeah, it was really nice. It was nice. nice. So it was definitely nice. A, a day of wine. Day of wine. Uh, Grant, I had to go back to work, so <laughs> 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 mine ended at the lunchtime one. <laughs> but you were you went back happy, a little bit happier. Oh yeah, I actually walked back to burn up some of the ah, to metabolize gotcha. some of the wine. So yeah, I walked oh, yeah. back downtown. That was probably a good idea. Yeah. <laughs> Are you going so to do an essay? What's I am not because I'm not available um in July. Yeah, me either. So um, so you're not either. No, I leave for Amsterdam on the fourth, oh and, and I was scheduled to return back on the land back on the eleventh. So that's just right in the middle of that because if it was sure. ending, um on the night if I was gonna come back on the night, but I would have took the train right down to yeah. um Par- not Paris to Chablis mm-hmm. into the area and join yeah. them. But oh well so everyone yes. um Glennis is talking about an essay. So everyone who attended this master class 
is eligible to write an essay about Chablis and you may get selected to travel to Chablis with Julia Coney. And your essay has to be about, wait, it's, you know, what was 500 the, words. Or 500 less. words. And, oh, it was always bring Chardonnay instead of anything but Chardonnay. So it's sort of bringing the life to Chardonnay back. So, mm-hmm. yeah. I, I like, I want to read the essays. I'm very curious of what people oh, have I to say. Oh, I would love to be on that committee to help her read those essays. Mm-hmm. Let me stop lying. I don't feel like reading nothing else. <laughs> I read too much during the day. Okay. Sorry. <laughs> I just told a big fib. I, I can't wait to hear from you guys. Yeah. Or, you know, her, or if you were to read them, what you thought of it. Yeah. Of the yeah. essays. Very curious. All right. So on that note, let's bring in our special guest, Grant Hemingway of Libby Wines. Welcome to this Wild Suite. Welcome, welcome. Thanks, guys. Looks like this you're is the shirt part. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I if it's a video platform, I don't know that the shirt's coming off. No, it is not. <laughs> it's not. <laughs> that was just for our own entertainment. I'll go ahead. I'm so sorry. Welcome. Thanks, guys. It looks like you might be enjoying a little Libby Red right now. That is correct. Oh, I think we're drinking the same one. Uh Because in true disclosure, when I got it, it was like, oh, it was hot one of those days. So I opened the white. I was like, oh, this is perfect. It was refreshing. I love bubbles. Um, Then I said, you know what? Let me try the rosé. It was a couple of, maybe a week later. I said, let me try the rosé. Drank the rosé. And then I had a conversation with our program manager. I was like, Oh, so when is Libby? Okay, I think I better not drink the last bottle and drink it during the podcast. Yeah. Go figure. So that's yeah. full disclosure. Well, you saved it for a special occasion, which is actually oh. not, Libby's not intended for special occasions. It's meant for Tuesday night with Dungeness Crab, which is seeming to be what you're enjoying it with. But there you go. Anyway, yes. thank, thank you for having me on. Uh, and uh, thanks for enjoying the wines. Absolutely. So, Grant, please introduce yourself to everybody. Yeah, so uh, my name is Grant Hemingway. I'm the co-founder and CEO of Libby Wines. Um, I reside in Napa, so I'm in Northern California. I've been here for 25 years. Long time to call Napa home. I've seen all the changes, uh, a lot of uh, changes to downtown for those who have been fortunate to, to visit. Um, but I've been in the wine industry for 17 harvests. I'm one of those that gets to count their years in harvest. Um, and uh, always been on the production end of things. So um, I've had quite the journey through the, through the wine industry, held, held a ver- variety of capacities, um, each with its own kind of unique discipline. Um, Libby was something that uh, it's probably three years and culminating of just conversations with my co-founder, uh, John Green. He's based in Grand Rapids. He comes from the craft beer industry. Uh, so introducing wine to a, a, a craft beer guy was was quite the, the fun challenge. Uh, being alcohol beverages, they have similarities, but they have some very uh, unique facets to, to them. So We've had a great time launching it. We're only uh, 12 months, 12 plus months. We we had our first, Libby had her first birthday on April 1st. So, um, but it was, it was a great uh, moment to celebrate with the team getting through the first year, which is always fun in startup world. Um, but yeah, I, just excited to see people on a screen drinking it, uh, albeit across the, uh, across the country. Well, happy birthday. That's a big accomplishment. Okay, Indeed. so oh, April Fool's. When, when's the real birthday? Yeah, no, it, <laughs> we we did it. We did an April Fool's stunt uh, right right at launch, and it was it was a clever one. My head of marketing came devised this plan to get uh, a bunch of people named Livy to post on their social that they had launched a wine brand, and so we got a bunch of them to launch it. It spiked our social like engagement, followers. It was so clever. That's um, so creative. But, exactly. but so so fun just to like get it out into the world with 
with tasking an army of Libby's to just spoof a bunch of people on April Fool's Day. Everyone fell for it. <laughs> it was awesome. <laughs> oh, that's adorable. Tell us about some of the positions you've held. What would you say maybe two of your favorites were? Yeah, as I alluded to, I, I have had a variety of roles in the industry. Um, I I came through the viticulture and enology program at UC Davis. Um, the nice thing about that program is you you do get kind of two years of of uh, grape uh, in the viticulture side, and then you get two years of wine in the enology side. Uh, so you get a little bit of a taste of each. I wouldn't say they go super in depth. Um, but I elected to go into the grape growing side right out of, right out of college. Um, I was hired by Farniente, which is kind of a, a family estate in uh, in Oakville, um, to really do a lot of their their uh, viticulture. Um, but part of their company was also Nickel and Nickel, which was single vineyard. And so I learned a ton about the nuances of single vineyard, microclimates, soils, aspects, clonal differences. It was for me personally, just the perfect uh, education in, into grape growing, uh, learning, you know, clearly at the very high end of the spectrum, uh, working with some amazing growers in Napa and Sonoma, but just learning about the, the, the very subtle differences that how you um, train, how you grow, how you manipulate the canopy, uh, and then taking that through all the way to the winery and, and seeing the impact that you can have on a growing season and, and the ultimate result in the bottle. Uh, I was with them for five years. I um, I wanted to use the other side of my brain or I even joke like the dark side, which is the winemaking. And uh, and so I came over and, and joined another family operation. Um, I was with them for seven years, but it was uh, Mason Cellars, uh, another Napa producer, um, really well known for Sauvignon Blanc and um, worked under Randy Mason. Um, I, definitely a mentor of mine on, on, in winemaking, um, and just really learned a lot about, um, the chemistry, the science, honestly, the art of, of winemaking. Um, he's definitely an, an old world style winemaker, um, you know, not highly manipulating wines, um, really trying to, to work with the right, the right source and, um, and does a, he did a, a masterful job in blending. So, was with them for seven years. That brand was ultimately acquired by Trincaro family, Sutter Home. Um, and at that point, I decided um, I was ready for my first startup venture. So I jumped into the canned wine movement. This would have been in 2016, 2017. And I started a, a canned wine brand called Essentially Geared. Um, we ran it around the country, had a a, a beer wholesaler network that was actually um, selling and distributing the brand um, and uh, had a, a crazy amount of learnings from my first startup, from launching something innovative from a format um, and, and really trying to offer a convenience factor to a younger consumer who we really targeted as the, the core audience for that brand. Um, really trying to bring wine into um, kind of outdoor and more occasions, um, which we honestly saw from Hard Seltzer and how they were captivating an audience and, and having that convenience factor. Um, after EG, I actually took a quick stint in my first corporate gig, which was an incredible learning experience. And I was the head of um, wine for Molson Coors, the big brewer. And they were starting to diversify into wine and spirits at the time. And I had had some experience in both managing beer wholesalers and also a team. So um, was with them for a mere 14 months. Um, learned a lot about corporate environments, but also just around the, the business. Um, mm -hmm. All the while I'd been talking with my now co-founder about just whiteboarding ideas, just kind of moonshotting things. What's the next big thing in Outbev? And Libby is the byproduct of those conversations. So I gave you the whole snippet, 17 years in the industry, kind of through five ventures, five companies. Um, but really, I mean, each, I don't know that I have a favorite one. I, I would say I have, I, I took a lot from each, um, each phase. You know, the great growing aspect was just a tremendous foundation for me to continue and just cemented my passion for the industry. I, I love agriculture. I love science. And the great growing part of it was 
was the perfect starting place for me because it, it kind of shows where it, where it all starts. And then eventually transitioning into the winemaking and then into the business aspect, you know, I, I feel very fortunate that I've had a, a very generalist approach to things um, and, and really been able to get my, my hands dirty in a, in a variety of aspects in this industry. And it, I, I, I don't want to know any other industry. I, I just, I'm so passionate about the wine industry um, and just feel great that, that I've been able to see so many different elements of it. That's excellent. I guess my question for you is this, um, this is a quite a departure as far as style from a Farnente or Nicola Nickel. Never had Mason. I don't remember. I might have. I've been to Napa. There's a couple of wines I don't remember because I drank too much. Anyway, question. <laughs> what was your vision for this one? Even from the packaging to the actual style of wine that's actually in the bottle. Uh, differentiation was a big thing from a package standpoint, like knowing that it was going to end up on a shelf and we've, we've made specific packaging cues from the bottle that we use to the closure that we use to the shape of the label. A lot of that was very intentional because, you know, in this day and age, we as consumers are also fortunate to have a bevy of choices, probably too many choices, to be honest, where it becomes an intimidation factor. Um, and so we really wanted to make um, just poignant decisions on the packaging so that you would understand at, at the shelf, this wine's a little bit different. Okay. Then we started thinking about the winemaking aspect of it. So from a stylistic perspective, um, there are so many great wines out there. There are so many great Proseccos, Champagnes, Sparkling, Cava. I mean, that whole um, sector, which is incredibly healthy, growing, has massive consumer support. It's very celebratory in nature. We just felt like there was optimizations or changes that could be made, not only in the way we packaged it, but also in the way we made it. So it could start to speak to a slightly different consumer that maybe wasn't being catered to. And I would say the one, the one challenge that sparkling faces uh, the category of sparkling wine is it's elitist in nature. It's very expensive. I mean, it can range all the way up to some of the most expensive in the world. And I think what, what that misses is an opportunity to allow the mass consumer, the, the amateur, the novice who's just getting into wine that really enjoys the sparkling element of it, the celebratory nature, the lifestyle of it but doesn't really understand how to navigate the sea of, of sparkling and, and everything that comes with it. And so it was very intentional to, to make something that was light, refreshing, approachable, very quaffable. Um, didn't, I mean, there's a time and place for first growth and for grower champagne. We all love it. Um, but what about the Tuesday night with Dungeness Crab? Like that's what, <laughs> that's what Libby's made for. Is is that moment, and that that's a simple celebration that, Glennis, you got through the day. Let's just have a good drink, right? And to me, like that's where we want to open up the door for wine to have, just generally speaking, an opportunity to be part of people's lives in in a more regular fashion, as opposed to, I just bought my first house. Let's pop. Let's saber a bottle of champagne. Still do that. Absolutely, that's a milestone. But what about just that simple moment? I got the kids down. Let's finally have a glass of wine. Great. Hey, thank you for that. Because you yeah. hit the nail right on the head. Um, usually when I eat, the, eat this Dungeness Crab on a Tuesday night, or you know, just midweek, it doesn't have to be a, a celebration. I will pop a bottle of bubbles. And usually my go-to is a Cremant. Yep. I love Cremant. That's like my favorite. And... Um, to every point that you made about the price point, the way it's perceived and things of that nature. Sometimes you just wanna sit here, get your ha hands dirty and drink a nice glass of sparkling. So I thank you. I'm sitting here enjoying um, my glass of Libby and 
I'm thinking I want a whole case of all three types so I can just have on hand for cookouts. When family comes over, we're outside, lighting the grill, that kind of thing. I mean, it would be perfect for picnics and things of that nature. Um, can you tell us um, the process of the winemaking process to making these wines and also tell us about what we're drinking? Yeah. So the winemaking process, much like the decisions that went into the packaging um, and the style, we wanted to really kind of um, decompose the winemaking process and or deconstruct rather. Uh, and, and figure out, is there ways that we can get to a lower alcohol and still have a discernibly, like, a, identifiable, clean, refreshing wine character without having to go through the process of, of de-alcoholization? And, and for the listeners, like, de-alcoholization can happen through a, a great te technological uh, advancement in terms of reverse osmosis or even a spinning cone filtration. So it's it's selectively removing alcohol. I think the current problem that I saw when I tasted wines that had gone through this process is it was a pretty heavy hand at the filtration, meaning it took a lot of the character out. It took a lot of the varietal character, a lot of the aromatics. It wasn't quite what we were looking for. So back to the deconstruction, what we end up doing with Libby is we actually put kind of three components into each blend. And then I can talk about each blend. But roughly speaking, we pick at lower bricks. So we find, you know, growing regions that are full in flavor and at full maturity at lower bricks. Um, the, the final resting alcohol of those is going to be lower in, in alcohol when they complete fermentation. The second component is we actually do an arrested fermentation, meaning we intentionally stick the fermentation midway through and keep a little bit of residual sugar in there, existing glucose, fructose from the bricks, from the grapes. But that resting alcohol is about half of what it could be. So now we're dropping a lower bricks blend with an even lower alcohol blend, and we've gotten closer. The last thing we do, and this is where I take cues from the whiskey industry, from seltzer, from beer, is we actually go through an intentional water ad. And so it's water that has been um, run through uh, deodorization, carbon filter, reversal. It's, it's basically the water that, that everything uses in, um, in beer and, and whiskey and, and uh, seltzer. But it's not negatively impacting the chemistry of the wine. And so the final, the final pH, the final um, kind of chemistry makeup of Libby is still that of a traditional sparkling wine. It sits at 3.2 pH. It's got, you know, the, the, the TAs, I'm getting very technical, I apologize, but like it, it's, it's very, um, it's the chemistry makeup is very similar to, to wine. And so because of that, it, it just has those wine character the wine quality it has all of those flavors that you would expect from it it's just refreshing like it's a different kind of experience than a lot of people expect when they come to wine and that's been the one term that consumers that have had libby resoundingly offer up immediately wow it's so refreshing and that goes across all three blends that we make like they're they're very um similar in style um they want to be light and crisp and refreshing. Um, there's good acid profiles. There's great, um, you know, great fruit forward nature, but they're still low in calories. They're only 75 calories per serving. I was um, getting ready to say that. I just saw that yeah. on the bottle. The red is yeah. the highest, it seems like, because that's 80. 80, yep. Yep, I was like, oh my gosh, I can drink this and not feel guilty. <laughs> <laughs> great Tuesday. It is a good Tuesday. We uh we were very conscious of of calories, of alcohol, of a lot. I mean, we didn't really touch on it, but transparency, which I think is something that needs to change in the wine industry. What's going into the wine? What's going into the process? Um, we're kind of an open door at Libby. We really wanted to help the consumer understand if they wanted to take that journey with us, um, how we're making it, uh, what's in it, where the grapes are coming from. Is it 
gluten-free? Is it vegan-friendly? What are the calorie counts? What? How much sugar is in it? And I think that's also a miss, just generally speaking on the industry, it's been so secretive. And that, that's, that needs to change because I think the modern consumer is really concerned with what, what they're putting into their body. Um, and this is just uh, uh, an optimization that I think the industry needs to, to take on. Um, to touch on each of the blends we make very quickly, the white blend is Chenin Blanc and Riesling. It's predominantly Chenin Blanc. That's the lower bricks portion. So that's a grape that can really shine at the lower bricks. It gets to fuller flavors and maturity at lower bricks. And the Riesling is the arrested part. So the arrested where we intentionally stick that, that fermentation. Um, the Rosé is a little bit more, uh, was, was a blending challenge, uh, a really fun blending challenge. Uh, but it's Syrah, Zinfandel, Grenache, and Moscato. The Moscato is the arrested portion. You'll see like I, the Riesling and the Moscato are both um, commonly arrested. Those are wines that are made across the, the, the globe in some sweeter styles and dry styles. It's a very versatile grape in that regard. But um, a very fun profile on the rosé, having um, to, to add in and sprinkle with Grenache and, and, and Zinfandel and Syrah. It just gave it a little bit more complexity and depth, wanting it to be a very interesting kind of uh, rosé drink. And the one you guys are drinking is our red blend. And this was something we actually launched in the fall um, after response and talking to our consumers, talking to those that had purchased the brand through our website. You know, what are you guys looking for? Trying to listen, um, which is not, not what a lot of producers do, but listening to the consumer and saying, what do you guys want? And a lot of people were talking about sparkling red. And it's interesting being in this industry, you don't see a lot of it on domestic shelves, right? You're looking at maybe a sparkling Shiraz from down under, or yep. per perhaps, you know, something from Italy, but, but certainly not something that's widely available. And so it was just interesting to hear that fact. So we sat, you know, on the bench at the winery and said, you know, what can we do? Um, we eventually ended up with a Syrah Zinfandel blend. It's definitely the fullest flavor of the three. Um, I would say it in the trade, it's kind of the favorite of the three, but I, they're, you know, they're all, they're all, they're a family of wines. You can, if you tasted all three of these blinds, you'd say, oh, these taste similar in, in quality and in profile, obviously having each just different uh, nuances and flavor complexity, but, um, yeah, the red was a was a significant challenge. Uh, that one, wanting to keep it refreshing, which is not something you commonly think of, Glennis, when you're drinking Farniente, you want something that's robust yep. and can stand up to the food or uh, whatever you're, but the red is a great standalone drinker. Um, it's It's been well received by the consumers. And I, I think it's going to be a dark horse for us. I think people are going to be really intrigued by the fact that they can get something sparkling and, and red. Wow, that you, <laughs> so you said for the rose Moscato, Syrah, Grenache, and what was it? Was there another one or just those three? And Zinfandel. And Zinfandel, because I was getting ready to say, oh, you all have done a play on a new GSM. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. That would have been awesome. Um, no, and that's the other thing that that we looked at, and those the the regulations that surround sparkling are in place for a reason. They have significant equities built up in champagne in prosecco they have specific regions they have specific grapes they have specific protocols in which they have to follow i'm over here sitting in california the wild wild west but adhering to very little rules and just blending with whatever i want and i just want to arrive at the most delicious approachable profile and I, that's kind of what Libby's about is we're just going to, we're going to have fun. We're going to do things the way, you know, we kind of want and, and just keep things light. Where'd the name Libby come from? I'm thinking that same question. It's not, it's not a child. It's not a grandmother. Um, no, it is uh it's a word smash, a play on words for light and bubbly. So we just took light and bubbly and smash them together and we came up with Libby and it perfectly describes the product so naming a brand in this day and age I've done it several times it's a big challenge 
what's trademarked, what's available, what's going to resonate with the right consumer, what's memorable. But when we finally got to Libby, it you for all those startup and those entrepreneurs out there, it's going to take a time. It's going to take a long time. You just got to go through the motions. You got to go through the grind of figuring out your brand name because you're going to live with it forever, but you'll know it. The light bulb, when I saw it on the page, I was like, that's it. It's Libby. It's perfect. Light and bubbly. Nice. I love it. Um, so one of our previous guests, he, when we, when we wrap recording, he said one thing to me, he was like, you didn't ask me any money questions. I was like, I, I didn't, I tend not to. Um, I didn't want to overstep or be too nosy. He was just like, no, I think more people in the wine industry should be more transparent about the costs of what we do. And um, so I think my question to you is like, what is the biggest expense? Yeah. Having gone through it uh, with a, with a few different brands, um, the the grapes are always and granted depending on where you're buying from in the world but grapes are are a significant cost in the last five years and certainly last three post-pandemic glass has become a significant portion of our cost of goods um a lot of that is just raw materials having gone up supply and demand if you're buying anything internationally, you're talking about putting on the water and tariffs. And so it, it does get quite expensive on the glass side. Um, we talked about one of the closure decisions for us, which was a crown cap. And Glennis, you picked up on this. I mean, it was very intentional because we looked at it and said, we don't believe that the cork cage and foil is what is necessary for Livy to be known as a sparkling wine. And beyond that, perhaps the biggest decision we wanted to make was a more sustainable closure for a sparkling beverage. And there's a lot of excess in, in the cork, in the cage, and the foil. I'm not trying to take anything away from the ritual and the tradition that's, that surrounds that, but the crown cap is a very insignificant portion of our cost. And yet it is a perfect closure for us and is widely used in every other sparkling carbonated beverage category in the world. Um, and so it was, it was a, it was a no brainer for us and, and fortunate to find, you know, we could customize it and put all the colors and branding on it, but it was a great closure. It was my first time working with the closure as well. So I definitely wanted to learn more about the application, how long it's going to hold and it's, um, but it's great. And Libby is not intended to lay down and age for decades. This is a, immediate consumption and the crown closure for that is, is perfect. Um, but yeah, hopefully that answered the, the, the cost of goods sold. It's, it's a heavy grapes, heavy glass. Um, and then obviously the labor, but. Thank you for that. Glennis, any other questions before we go to our closeouts? Well, I think I heard, um, but I wasn't sure it, so you source your grapes or are you out or do you have land that you're growing and harvesting yourself? We do not. We don't own any land. As a, as a startup, we looked at, you know, how do we best leverage our capital? Right. And it was not to go out and buy vineyards. Um, it was to, you know, de develop the right profile, um, develop the right, you know, go to market strategy um, and definitely a lot around marketing. Um, but no, we, we source from all over the state and having been around the globe a couple of times, fortunate to have a great grower network and, mm -hmm. and, and partners. Um, but it, it's still a challenge. I mean, the, 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 the grapes are very, it's very competitive to go out and get contracts and, and find your space to make your wine and blend. And the whole supply chain is, is incredibly challenging, but Having, you know, been on the production end for so many years, it was one thing that I felt pretty confident in. Um, but what I ended up doing was hiring the creatives to help my operational mind bring things to market. And so I was, that was my, my, in, in this startup was really kind of bringing um, very strong team players, diverse backgrounds, um, 
different differing perspectives because that, that's kind of really what we wanted to do with with Libby um, was was try to be a far more inclusive brand and it, you gotta you gotta walk the walk and it was one thing um, that that I've been very passionate about in the wine industry is is just involving more people into wine uh, age. Um, different communities, different interest groups. I, I don't think that the wine industry has done a great job in talking to um, the masses. It's it's been very specific and and it's had a good run, but the numbers are not looking great. We are missing on the younger demographic. We are missing on the ethnic, and that can't stand. And that's I I, I speak very passionately about the industry that I love. But I, I also want to change the tide and and change the course and use Libby as an example of of what can what you can do in the wine industry to better communicate. And that goes down to the product, that goes down to the, the packaging decisions, that goes down to how we show up on social, on our website, how we activate. Um, even we have a new initiative that we're launching, which is a it's all about education and it's called Libby U. Uh, it actually launches next month. And we are sponsoring 10 people through the WSET one. And I, I view education, whether it's in wine or the, my children, like education is such a vital part to how we change uh, the cycle. And that was one thing that we were very passionate about was getting more people into wine um, and making sure that anyone had the opportunity to follow their passion for the beverage. And so we're gonna sponsor 10 people through their WSET one. Oh, excellent. Excellent. I wish you were sponsoring people for the UC Davis class. <laughs> no. Yeah, I'll go. I'm sorry, Serena. Go ahead. I'll go. Yeah, I'll go. I'm sorry. You know. Oh, here I did. My mouth. Time for the fun stuff. Looking for somewhere to advertise? Consider the Swirl Suite podcast. Yep, right here. The Swirl Suite is now open for pre-roll advertisements, mid-roll advertisements, or post-roll advertisements. Some of our packages even include a social media shout out. If you're interested in sponsoring one episode or perhaps more, simply email us at swirlsuite at gmail.com. Cheers. Yeah, so this part of our show, um, we asked a handful of closeout questions to get to know you a little bit better. So here we go. First one. What is your favorite beer brand? Oh, do I get to go first? Sure. You're the guest. Yeah. Uh, it's Banquet from Banquet Beer, Coors Original. Oh, wow. And I'll, 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 I'll tell you why. Um, okay. I, I've been a long-time fan of the brand, and it's a great kind of everyday drink. But the one thing that I've always admired about Banquet is it's one beer. It is not extended. It doesn't have 17 different flavors. It doesn't have an IPA. It doesn't have any of this. It's been one beer for like 150 years. Same recipe. It's made in one spot. It's so tried and true. They just know who they are and they own it. And I love that about it. And yes, I worked for them. So I'm not just saying it because I worked for them. But it's been a beer that I have just admired for their fortitude to just they just stick to their guns and they just uh they know who they are. And they are they are, they are Coors brand. Um, Coors. They, yeah, Coors wow. Original is a it's the banquet beer. Uh, wow. um yeah, incredible story. Interesting. Interesting. Mine is Red Stripe. I'll tell you right now. I'm a nice. Red Stripe lock. Oh my gosh. <laughs> yeah, that's my favorite. Um I do not drink beer, but um, I'll just go ahead with a local beer called DC Bro. Um, everybody here loves it. So, and my Serena, husband loves why, it. Why don't you drink beer? Um, I don't like the way beer makes me feel, and I don't like the hoppy taste. So okay. I can actually stomach some sour beers, but mm -hmm. um, yeah, I just don't like the taste of it. You beer. like this? You like the stubby? The stubby bottle? Such an iconic package. Is it? Is it? Is. Oh my yeah. god! Oh, amazing. Yeah. And then they went from what was it a twelve ounce stubby bottle, and they try to 
make be slick and went to that little ten ounce. I was like, this bottle is smaller. <laughs> it's supply chain, I'm sure. <laughs> exactly, and the cost of glass, like you said, right? Yeah, there you yep. go. Yep. yep. Okay. Next question is just for you, Grant. As a new dad, what's the first thing you do when the baby is asleep? Put the house back together. Oh. I know there's I know there's two camps on this, but it's like that witching hour after you know you, you close the computer, you come in, you put the dinner together, the kids are uh you know running on fumes, the house becomes an absolute tornado. Um, and I, I think, uh, I'm definitely one of those that wants to have the house together before I go to bed, as opposed mm. to wake up and wake up and do it. Um, but that's, that's the first thing. And then the second, the second shortly thereafter is just, um, uh, checking in with the wife and seeing how the day go, what's on the docket for tomorrow. What can we just, uh, reconnect on because you just get so caught up in, mm. in the chaos of life and it, you just need that moment. But those are precious moments from, from the time they go down to the time you go to bed. That was a lovely answer. Yes, lovely. it was. It was. <laughs> okay. I, I think you kind of touched on this, um, in your responses, but Glennis, you and I can answer this as well. What's more of your strength, creativity or the business? I definitely answered it. I'm I'm business minded. I yeah. I uh I'm an operational production guy, but I just I went out and sought out the best. The, those uh those creative types are operating on a different wavelength, a different side of their brain. So, I feel very strongly about our creative team. I think I'm right in between this. I it, for me, I may have a vision, but it's like, okay, how do I implement it? I'll know it when I see it. You know, when it came to my blog's um, logo and brand, the same thing, the creative was like, well, what do you want? I'm like, oh, no, 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 yeah. You go back and forth, and then I was like, I might have an epiphany and say, oh, I saw something similar. Something similar, but not this that kind of reflects A and not B. So I can give you a list from a business standpoint. Um, I think so. To answer your question, if I had to pick one or the other, I would go more with business, but I think I'm somewhere in between. No, that makes a lot of sense. Um, and knowing you that, that, yeah, that, that sounds pretty accurate. That sounds very accurate. <laughs> Me, you know, I go back and forth, but I feel like I'm 60% creative in the rest business. The ideas come to me. And then I'm like, how can I make this make sense? And then I do it. So I'm definitely both. I feel like that's the fun part. Um, just coming up with the stuff and like creating things. So yeah, yeah, that's definitely me. I agree. Glennis, yep. Glennis, have you played with the chat GBT yet? Because I think there's a tool out there that the AI that you might want to consider utilizing to help you put your creative into mm. execution say that again what, what i guess to answer your question no because now i'm asking you <laughs> it's it's uh it's it's an ai artificial intelligence intelligence called, right called chat gpt not give them a plug they don't need a plug they're just got 10 million dollars yeah. on value but anyway it's a great tool um and i i am starting to see creatives use it in a variety of capacities. I mean, wow. so you talked yeah. you talked about your blog, you talked about image, you talked about logo creation. Uh, just friendly oh, advice. For instance, Glennis, the last time I used it, um, I needed to post on Instagram, Facebook, and LinkedIn, but I wanted them all to be different. So I put a paragraph, a small paragraph, uh, into the AI, and it transformed three different messages. So on LinkedIn. It had specific language and even had like bullet po points with icons and all of that. Facebook, it gave me something really? different. And Instagram, it gave me something different. So it was oh, it's wow. magic. Chat wow. GPT. Wow. Yep. We do not have to work as hard. It's awesome. Woo. Nice. Excellent. Yeah. I will definitely be checking that out. Yeah. All right. Next question. Name an unforgettable compliment you received unforgettable compliment i 
I can't think of one off the top of my head. I know that's it's supposed to be unforgettable, so it's it's kind of counterintuitive. I will say this. Um, I love paying it forward. So what I love to do is just get that random act of kindness and just a, a, a little snippet of appreciation from like, I'll give you an example. Today, I was um, I was in line at a convenience store just grabbing a water and I noticed a 13 year old was I'm guessing 13. He was young, um, was struggling with his payment on his credit card. I don't know if he had his mom's credit card or whatever. He needed something for four dollars and ninety five cents. I just threw down the five, said, enjoy your candy bar, whatever you got. And and he said, thank you. But he just walked away. My hope is that 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 kid is going to pay it forward and just appreciate that simple act of random kindness. And and maybe he'll do it tomorrow. Maybe he'll do it in seven years. But I just I really subscribe to this notion of humanity and, and kindness and making sure that you just treat people like you want to be treated. But I don't know that's a compliment as much as it's just gratitude. Well, for me, so it is, I don't know if this was a compliment or insult and it happened today. <laughs> At work. What are my new coworkers? Um, since we've been back going into all into the office since COVID, you know, by different times or whatever. She had, I interviewed her for the position and she had never met me in person. And just today was the first day she met me in person. And she said, oh my God, you are better in person than you do on the screen. No filters. Oh my God. I was like, so is that a compliment or insult? <laughs> right? I said, but I accepted it as a compliment. It because just sounds like I a compliment. Cannot- Cause I can't stand pictures. I never, I really not, I don't like taking pictures. Cause every time I see a picture, I'm like, oh my gosh, that doesn't look like me or whatever. So that, that I guess to answer your question, that would be it. That was, that would have been a compliment today. That's a really That's nice right. compliment. I, yeah, I do. No filters yeah. at my age works well <laughs> yet. Um, let's see. The last compliment I received probably was I'm a really good listener. Someone said, you, um, you are a really good listener and you, it's rare because a lot of people do not know how to listen. They listen to give their response, but they're not really taking in what others are saying. And they were like, I don't know if that's like some sort of training you've had or if it's your personality, but you know, and this was a stranger. This was a stranger. This was someone that I think I was in a store and I just listened to the instructions about standing in line and you know you'd be very surprised how people just do not listen yeah Ooh, they don't yep. yep good question that was good all right so last one is for grant name a book or resource that has helped you with your brand oh boy um i, I listen to a lot of podcasts uh i think it's a great platform whether you're doing busy work or you're gardening or whatever um i think there's i mean depending on the discipline like so many incredible podcasts out there that are borderline just an education higher education um whether it's wine or finance like if you're wanting to know more about finance or chat gbt glennis uh there are uh, so many podcasts and I think it's a platform that's going to continue to grow. If I'm thinking books, um, there's a book called build, um, by Tony. I'm going to forget his last name, but he actually created the nest, which is the thermostat. And he was also on the design team for the, uh, iPhone. So he's just this incredible engineer, but it's a book that I commonly go back to um, it's probably more entrepreneurial kind of startup, but it's just simply called Build. Um, I think one of my favorite books is called Sapiens. Um, and Sapiens blew my mind for perspective. It talks about kind of the history of the earth and the evolution of the human being and, and Homo sapiens. It's it's pretty scientific, but it's also in a layman term that anyone can understand. 
and it just it kind of reset me personally on on perspective our impact on the planet how little I, i'll leave you with one thing one stat that i got from the book it was crazy said if if the uh if humankind's existence on this earth were uh, a moment in time in a calendar um it would be 12 or sorry 1159 and 59 seconds of the last second in a year so the entire time preceding that is the earth's existence we exist one second of this of this entire planet just blew my mind and I think back to that that kind of concept of how I don't know we all have the stresses of life and I'm like wait we are we are just a little snippet in time and we need to just uh not only to lighten up and maybe grab a glass of Libby and just hang out what a way to close it out that was perfect that was perfect yes indeed yes indeed this was outstanding yeah, awesome. I, yeah. I made it off the train and made it to the house in time. Yes. Well, thank you guys for, for hosting and, and having us. If you, if you need more Libby, you can get it online, drinklibby.com. Um, but I'm glad you guys enjoyed all three bottles. Appreciate, as I, I said, I am an advocate for podcasting. Keep it up. Love the platform. Love what you guys are doing. Um, so thanks for having me on. Absolutely. Thank you so much. Well, that is a wrap, everybody. Anything else, Glennis? No, I was just going to ask. So is that drinklibby.com? That's your website. Where else can um, people follow you on social media and all, all, all your handles? Yeah, it's all drinklibby. At drinklibby social um, is, is the handle across all the platforms there. So show us some love. We've got some fun stuff, giveaways, and maybe some more April Fool's jokes coming. <laughs> uh, but no, it, it's all about having fun, and I, I you know, ex excited to to get the brand into the world, and and hopefully coming to stores near you. Oh yeah, that's what I was gonna ask. Is it distri distributed distributed on the East Coast? And which... yeah, we're in select markets right select markets right now. Three the the third. The three tier system is a big challenge, but um, it'll it'll be coming, you know, into into East Coast, uh, hopefully this summer. But presently, Georgia, Michigan, Ohio would probably be the closest on the East Coast. Mm. Oh, okay. Yep. That's all the new. Well, we'll look out for it. Thanks for joining us, Speed. We hope you enjoyed this episode. Don't forget to hit that subscribe button, leave us five stars, and leave us a comment. We love ratings. Also, be sure to follow all of us on social media, myself at Vine Me Up, Glennis at Vino Noir, Girl Meets Glass is Tanisha, Vino 301 is Leslie, and you can follow the Swirl Suite podcast account at Swirl Suite. The Swirl Suite is now a part of the Alive Podcast Network. This episode has been edited and produced by Vine Me Up Media.